Hello everyone, welcome back to the Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and for the next half an hour I'll be your host alongside the Capsule's fashion editor Anna Muse and our travel industry expert Lindsay Thomas. And today we're joined in the studio by psychologist and coach Jeevan Dempsey. So take some time out, make yourself comfortable and get ready to join in with our conversation. Well, thank you for joining us on this very cold January day. Thankfully, though, we've got our lovely capsule ladies bringing some warmth into the studio today. We've got our gorgeous fashion editor, Anna Muse. Hello, Anna. Hello. And we've got our girl about and travel industry expert, the fabulous Lindsay Thomas. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. How are you all? Good, thank Good. you. And joining us for this week's episode, we have psychologist and life coach, Jeevan Dempsey. Hello, Jeevan. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, Natalie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So we last saw you back in September where you shared the stage with our lovely Lindsay at the Beauty and Wellness event and you gave us some amazing insight into so many things that cause us anxiety, which was hugely beneficial for all of our audience, I think. Oh, I'm glad you felt so. Yeah, it thank was very you. good. It was lovely being with you all, actually. Oh, I was going to say, did you enjoy it? Mm, I did, very much so. It was, um, it, was, it was a real opportunity to really kind of like showcase and talk about things that I'm really passionate about, you know, and anything that we can do to try and alleviate anxiety and stress in our lives, you know, more than happy to to be talking about it and to, to, to almost shine a light on it as, yeah. as a big, massive problem. Well, we you've, you've given expert advice to Cosmopolitan, to the Daily Mail, to Woman and Home, and obviously us here at The Capsule. And, you know, you're very much like us. You're about empowering people. So mm. just tell us a little bit more about the kind of work that you do. So I mainly work with clients who are experiencing low self-confidence and low self-esteem. Um, that comes from a very deep place. And actually, it then manifests itself in terms of the way we, we feel about ourselves and our place in life and in, and in work. So I'm really keen on working with people so that they can really achieve the very best that they can. Mm -hmm. And empowerment is all about making people see the real potential in themselves. And they only do that as they start looking and getting more confidence and really feeling their worth in, 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 their, in their lives and, and in the world. Well, I... Jivan, I'm interested to talk about imposter syndrome today. As a woman who has suffered, and only really last year did I really start to understand what imposter syndrome meant, but apparently I have had severe <laughs> imposter syndrome. Where <laughs> the heck does it stem from? <laughs> so it goes back to my last answer. It really does stem from self-confidence issues. Imposter syndrome very much affects high-achieving women. Well, that's me. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, because we, we kind of, we're always questioning ourselves. We, we do that naturally. 70% of us will always experience some form of anxiety mm -hmm. and some form of imposter syndrome, but we get over it. However, there are some people who experience it so very deeply and it just goes round and round in their heads that somehow they're not good enough. Somehow that they're going to be found out that they're not good enough. So you're constantly putting on an act. You're constantly putting on, you're working that much harder and faster because you need to be better than everybody else and it stems from the fact that you feel that you're never going to be good enough and unfortunately very very high performing women are always suffering with it and it just means that it's a hamster wheel of activity that goes round and round and round. Is that something that you think stems from childhood 
do you think? It can do. It can do because um, it's the kind of the conversations that that we may have experienced and the narrative we may have experienced when we were yeah. children. You know, yeah. I agree. Never yeah. Good enough. I had quite a tempestuous relationship with my father, in particular mm. his. Well, my evil stepmother will call her. Hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> but anyway, that, that really, um, really affected me. And it was only really last year when I came to realise the impact that she had had. And I was given this really great tool by another coach who was helping me. And she made me draw what this imposter syndrome would look like in the way of a person. And now oh, I have wow. my evil stepmother... As a, and I would never have ever have thought that I would have had her pinned to my office wall. She sits there above my desk and whenever I'm feeling like I'm not good enough, mm. I can't do it. And I look at her and I imagine drop kicking her across the room. <laughs> and it sorts me out. But we time. don't advocate violence <laughs> in no, no, here, no, obviously. <laughs> but don't you think so many women do like suffer from it? And I, I don't know where mine's come from and didn't really know that I would get... I mean, I don't have severe imposter syndrome. It doesn't cripple me. But I remember the first time I think I experienced it, I used to work in a corporate environment um, in the marketing department and I had to present something to the board, that a concept that I'd come up with and worked on. And I remember presenting it to them and them all like asking for my opinions on things. And I sat there thinking, oh my goodness, they're actually like... Mm listening to what I'm saying and they're going to make decisions mm. in the business based on what I say but I what I don't think they should be listening like all of that self-doubt yeah. crept in yeah. and it's really hard to contain yeah. it sometimes yeah. what kind of I mean obviously it'll be yeah. different for everyone but do you have any sort of tools or tips because I think mm. so many of us suffer from that, it to yeah. some yeah. degree the the key to it is to accept praise because we don't do we that. don't do it <laughs> we, we kind of so for example I, I have a very similar situation myself you know when I do presentations I never feel that they're going to be good enough or no one's necessarily going to believe anything that I say yeah. but and it's because um you don't want to hear those words oh that was a really Good job. You don't want to hear it. You it's hard to believe, it isn't yeah. it? I don't know why we find yeah. it so hard you to don't take. And is that just praise. a British thing or a female thing? Or I would say it's a female thing, but mm. I think yeah. you're right. You, you're probably also hitting on something that actually it could also be a cultural thing because would you put this particular syndrome over in the States or somewhere where they have big Can big you imagine confidence? Trump, really? Oh, yeah. no. no, please, no. <laughs> but then he's not a female. Well, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I think as well, like... My mum and I have this conversation a lot because I, do, I am one of those people that struggles to kind of accept um, any form of, oh, you did well, oh, well, I'll, I'll pick absolutely everything. Mm. I, I will find completely holes in everything that I've done, everything that I've achieved, and I'm like, it wasn't quite, and play everything down. Yeah. And I don't know where that does come from. I'm, I wonder sometimes if, my mum says it's because at school, if you were doing well, you were kind of had the mickey taken out of you yeah. and you didn't want to be different and you yeah, never wanted yeah. to be the one that kind yeah. of was doing well, yeah. which I was always doing well at school, but I always played it down because I, I wanted to fit in with everybody else. That's yeah. like people pleasing as yeah, well. And isn't I, it? And that's yeah, absolutely, and I'm, I'm one like of that. them. I'm yeah. 110% a people pleaser yeah. as well. You don't want to be the teacher's pet because no. it's the teacher's pet that's always the one that gets. Picked on. And that's me. I was as well. Were you? Yeah, totally. Oh, me, and I can see that. (laughs) Well, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was perfectionism. Because I think imposter syndrome and the need for perfection 
like sometimes for me go hand in hand and mm. I've always been a perfectionist in every area of my life the girls will tell you I'm always early for the apart from today well, apart from today, <laughs> <laughs> today me and Lindsay are terrible getting in oh, oh yeah but like in every area of my life I have this self-imposed I've got to be on time my house has to be tidy um I like my hair to look like, some things that seem really superficial but when things aren't perfect which let's face it is 99% of the time <laughs> yeah. it stresses me out yeah. and I how do you get a harness on on something mm. that for me has been innate since I was mm. teeny tiny yeah thing perfectionism in my view equals stagnation because mm. we're so focused on just making sure that everything is absolutely just spot on yeah we don't move forward totally and it, and it does stem oh I love from, that that's yeah. a great <laughs> thing to <laughs> draw on that's so why we're true. doing all right Lindsay we're not perfect and I'm just like ah. <laughs> but it does stem way back in in terms of fears that we have because mm. we're not willing to let go so so we're over here glossing up this little thing and making sure this is all perfect because then we don't have to focus on the real thing which is over here mm. that we need to work on she's almost like the white elephant in the room yeah. exactly yeah. exactly and and regrettably you know things like perfectionism kind of leads into uh, obsessive behaviors mm. and compulsion and there are so many different syndromes that you can kind of see and and i work with my clients on quite regularly and it's all to do with the fact that their perfectionism comes from something much deeper within them which is actually rooted in fear and goes all the way back to that narrative that we used to hear as, as children you know mm. we're not good enough or mm. no you can't do that or no we can't do that we're not we're just not good enough and those messages just kind of become part of your Crikey, DNA. That, that yeah. makes me panic now as to like, not that I go around telling my Freddie that he's not good enough or anything, but you know when you just suddenly, your parent and you're like, stop doing that. Why couldn't you have done that properly? Or do this. I, I now I'm listening to myself thinking, oh my God, what am I doing to my child now? Because, you know, your mums and dads or whatever, they yeah. probably do in a rush or in a panic or whatever, just criticise you sometimes without even realising. Yeah. Or just from wanting the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For oh, them to reach worrying. their potential, yeah. I suppose it's delicate. Yeah, but I mean, there are parental boundaries that we have to set our children anyway. I mean, obviously mm. there are some disciplines that we need our children to to to, to follow and, and to, to recognise that society isn't a free-for-all. But it's just the, the tone. So don't beat yourself up about it because even the best parents will, by default, say things that their children are going to remember and they're going to think oh, well, that was a bit harsh mm. but it is the constant repetition right. of it that slowly starts to make children feel that actually no they're not good enough mm. and and it's they, they start to absorb those messages so don't feel that you know you're not a good parent because actually you probably are so don't 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 yeah. even think that. <laughs> I'm looking at you now like this, going, trying to go through every single thing. Going, oh my god! Listen, if I can get my kids to school in the morning, then I've done well. You know, if I get fed in the morning, then I mean, bonus. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of the game. You're ahead. Yeah. Something as well that I'm quite concerned about, and which is another reason I really wanted to chat to you, particularly at this time of year, is because you know. Tomorrow will be Blue Monday. And this is a really important day for a lot of people. It's the day when, you know, a lot of bills will be piling up for people. Divorce, people instigate divorce. And, and you know, even tragically, it, there's the suicide mm -hmm. rates as well. What For anyone out there now going through, you know, anxiety or depression or just worries, what, what would be your advice to them at the minute? The first thing is to, to recognise that there is help out there. Mm -hmm. And that's always the first step that people need to take. And quite often 
people don't make that first step. They don't take it because they're, again, wanting to hold back or they don't recognise the realities of, of what they're facing. Christmas is always a difficult time because the spotlight is on families, it's on joy, it's mm. on everyone having fun, it's on buying the biggest and the best presents. Mm. And sometimes it becomes very superficial and that, and, that, and that focus, that spotlight can be enormously pressurised for some people. Mm. If people are out there and they do feel that, you know, that, that the pressure around Christmas is so much, then actually reach out and start asking for help because that is the first step. And there are some simple things that the professionals can actually help. Even if you don't want to go to a professional, just reach out and speak to a family member or a trusted friend because once you recognise the gravity of the situation, you're actually already on the road to, to, to making a change and to improving. Yeah. When I started writing my blog four years ago was really the first time I really touched on my mental health mm. and it's had such a major impact and such a sort of you know cathartic impact on me as a person and also I've helped lots of other people and I get lots of you know great people contacting me saying you know thank you but it, it as soon as you start even just talking about it mm. the difference it makes to you is yeah. is incredible self-awareness mm. is absolutely the first and then step. you can start to sort of not make a, not make a joke of it because that's the wrong thing to say but you, you have you can then start to look Be at more it, frank it, about it in a yeah. slightly less serious light and yeah and that and I don't want to, you know, make. I don't want that to sound like I'm, you know, sort of minimizing it, minim I, I, exactly, I, yeah, trivializing it. Yeah, but. I agree with you in that sense. I, I, I spoke about this on another podcast actually not long ago about the minute you kind of detach yourself almost mm. from it and you get it out in the open and then you can be a bit more frank about it and less emotional it suddenly just becomes a sentence yeah. than something that's, yeah. you know, if I say, oh, I've got anxiety, is that's a sentence and a fact, not the crippling feeling of I'm going to cry when I tell you this because it's the first time I've ever said it. Mm. And that's something that I've definitely learned is the more we actually are able to talk about it, mm. then the more frank and easy it becomes yeah. to just say, okay, I'm feeling a bit like this today rather than attaching all that yeah. weight to it. And that seems so difficult, yeah. doesn't it, at the Absolutely. beginning? Because people fear that they're going to be judged in some way yeah. or somehow they're not as good as somebody else. And I'm so glad that the narrative is beginning to change now in society, that actually it's perfectly okay and it's quite normal to have these sort of feelings and to reach out and get help. Once upon a time, we would have you know, looked down on people that, that kind of had mental health issues. And that has been wrong on so many different levels. And I'm mm -hmm. so glad we're beginning to see a change now that, that having a, a conversation where you're actually asking for help is the norm. And I so want to see more of that. Yeah. And I'm really happy and, and, and pleased that, you know, you've been able to give me this platform to help share yeah. that message. And you're talking to other people about it as well. And I think we should do we should talk more about it. So we normalize the conversation around mental health. What what do most people come to you um, to 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 speak to you about? What are your concern? What are their concerns when they come to you? It can be a multitude of things. I mean, I I, I work with people who have uh, um, had experienced trauma in their lives. So, right. I, I work with people who have you know that they've had something quite serious happen to them, and as a consequence of that, they've kind of um, uh, sort of absorbed it they're not talking about it and at long last they kind of feel that I need to be able to move forward I need to let go of the emotion 
around the event, you know, whether it's things like abuse or, or PTSD or whatever. It's learning to let go of the emotion that's holding you back around that event and having the, the courage really to take a step forward because it's only when you start dealing with things that the emotion that that's that's kind of almost got a grip around it's your ankle and it's yeah. keep it's holding mm. you in that in in, in its kind of uh, it's locking you in um that you can actually start to enjoy life again and actually feel that you can you can move forward and, and take your your rightful place so i kind of work i talk to people who um, ha have kind of experienced something big, but that's not to say that people who um, uh, you know are experiencing self-confidence or self-esteem issues, even if they don't necessarily have a have a trauma, that there is still the the techniques and the, and the way that I work with them. Uh, is still very very relevant so i work with mainly people who, who will come to me because they've had something with regards to their self-confidence issues and then when we start talking and we start delving into where that's coming from there's a whole host of stuff that starts to come isn't up. it interesting as well how once you sort of you become conscious of this and you take that first step towards bettering helping yourself we'll call it that that has a major knock-on effect i know from my own personal experience, when I started sort of dealing with some of these, you know, these skeletons in my closet and various other aspects, that I started to sort of progress down this path of not feeling like I had to be perfect all of a sudden, whether it be how much I weighed, what I looked like, you know, all of that sort of sort of just sort of fitted into place all of a sudden. It's almost like I don't need to be what society deems as perfect. I am me. And as long as I am the best version of me, then that is what is important. Absolutely. Funnily enough, um, Nicola said that, didn't she? Nicola Elliot, yes. when she came in from Neo. She was enlightening. She was, yeah, <laughs> incredible. And she'd said, um, we asked her, how, how do you do it all? And she went, you just drop a few balls. And yeah. I was like, oh my God. And she said, be more sloth, like be a little yeah. bit, operate at 70% and actually you'll get more done. If you try and operate all the time at over 100%, you'll just burn yourself out and you won't. And that's the same, like you said, in terms of being perfect and everything being amazing. If you stop aiming for that and aim just that little bit lower, you probably feel a little bit more Ooh, happy in and, control. Yeah. Yeah. and satisfied. Yeah. 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 No one can be perfect 100% of the time. And we just have to be able to, we just have to accept that. We just have to focus on being imperfectly perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a great example here. So I've, I've been kind of like doing a couple of videos, et cetera. And when, when I put them out on my, on my uh, Facebook or on my LinkedIn, the ones where I'm looking really polished, no one really wants to, to see. And yet I put a bloopers video out and I have had the most views on that one. And it's because we can, we're it's just real. being ourselves. It's relatable. Exactly. People exactly. can relate, can't they? Yeah. They don't necessarily want to see, certainly at our age, you know, so <laughs> perfectly polished and pristine person. Absolutely. You know, when you're looking like crap, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, full yeah. of cold with a <laughs> contour on your lip like this. Well, we know it's not true as well. So you, you don't. It's not real life. Yeah, is it? it's not authentic, is it? But your job must be, I mean, I'm sure you have mechanism so you don't get completely emotionally invested in all of your clients but it still must be incredibly demanding mm. how do you cope with mm. stress in your own life mm. i have to do things like running i have to go to the gym i have to do yoga i have to do meditation mm. because some of the things that i hear can be quite harrowing mm. and of course you are always having to take a step back and yeah. sometimes you really want to reach out and actually 
empathize, but that then diminishes the role that I play, yeah. which is to be um, very much a, a therapist, very much a psychologist, to, to help people find a way forward and, and through the, the, the emotion that they're, that they're experiencing. So I've always got to maintain that level of professionalism because yeah. I've always, because otherwise, what will happen is that the individual will then see me as mm. someone that's going to help them through the problems. It's not going to be me. It's going to be them themselves. And I, and I, what I do is to help them look at different avenues and ask the relevant questions of themselves that will help them find the solution for themselves. So when I listen and I hear some of the stories, I have to go out and and, and I have to do a run. Yeah, to, to work just to through. kind of get through yeah. that yourself. And a, and a lot of professionals in in my line of work do exactly the same sort of thing. Do you have? Do you feel the need to ever go and speak to anybody yourself just to? Uh, I, yes, we do. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise we wouldn't you be absolutely. Where you need to be, yeah. Absolutely. Every single therapist has their own therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only I could have mine on tap, but I can't. <laughs> but, it, you know, we have to, we, we hear, we will always be triggered by some of the things that our yeah. clients are saying to mm-hmm. us because we're obviously human at the end of the day as well. And we have to also go and seek help. One, because it means that we can then be the best psychologist, therapist, out there for our clients, but also it's it's a way of kind of offloading mm. because uh, you know quite often I get triggered with some of the stories and then they can be. Um, but where I get the greatest pleasure is as I see my clients progressing, yeah. and as I see their journey, and I know that they're the ones who have done it, but I've played a little part in yeah. helping them achieve, you know, their their peace of mind and their peace with what happened mm. in the past. And that is so amazing. And I'm always so grateful that they've allowed me into their life and they've shared with me these things that have been so painful and so hurtful for them and allowed me to help them see a better way forward for them. If someone was coming to see you, let's just say, you know, there might be somebody at home who is feeling desperate or they want they want to reach out, they want to speak to you. What what would happen? You know, they they'll make the phone call. They'll have it. They'll schedule an appointment with you. What can they expect from you? Mm. So what I tend to do is spend a good hour and a half to two hours really understanding what made them pick up the telephone. What is the issue that they really want to to work with? Um, usually, what I find is that um, the issue that they're actually coming to talk to me about is rarely the issue that they need work on. It's it's helping them to to peel back the layers of the issue so that we can really find out what is it that's really deep down that the client really wants to have help with mm-hmm. but that is a slow journey because uh, a lot of people are they're coming because say for example that they they're just not performing well at work or um, you know that they're not you know their relationship isn't uh, working particularly well once you start to to have the conversation and people start to open up Actually, you find so much more is buried really, really deep. And that is the root of the problem that they're coming to talk about. Mm. So we end up going into a completely different area. So it takes about two hours to really get to that stage where, um, and actually it could even be longer because my clients have to trust me. They have Mm. to, we have to have a rapport. They have to feel that I'm the one that is going to help them find what they're looking for. And sometimes we click and sometimes we don't and that's perfectly okay I mean you know there are many therapists out there many psychologists out there and you have to find the one that you feel that you trust the most and the one that is really going to help you 
to 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 really be able to dig deep and find what it is and then to help you chart with together with them a course forward that's going to be of benefit to them and that can take you know anything from depending on the issue it can take just a few uh, sessions of maybe four to eight but sometimes with the really deeper issues it can take a lot longer and is the specific techniques that you'll use within those sessions because we've heard about you know cbt or hypnotherapy and because CBT for me, people say it, but I never really know exactly what it entails. Mm. D- is that something that you have a, an idea of that you practice? Mm. I, I do. So I, I use CBT with a lot of my clients because CBT is very sort of action focused. So as we work together, it's putting some of the things that we're doing actually into practice, into into action, so that um, as you're working together, so initially it's going to be about um, really challenging the, the, the negative narrative that a lot of my clients already have. So, you know, they, they always beat themselves up. They have that inner critical voice that's telling them that they're not good enough. So it's it's working Dumb on chin. ways. I know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's always that monkey's always on your mm. back. And it's a case of telling that monkey to, to go away and, you know, and, and, and to get off your back. But there are ways and means of doing that. And, and you do that by um, really challenging yourself. And, and I use uh, Byron Katie's uh work which is a really simple four questions that you ask which is so if you've got a client in front of you and they're kind of saying things like oh I'm just never very good at that you're challenging that 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 thinking you're challenging that narrative to say really you know is that true is that really true you know where would you be without that thought and what would you rather be doing without that thought and it's really challenging it and just those four very simple questions which sort of form the bedrock of CBT um, allows you to reprogram your thinking and then as you're moving forward you can actually start to put um, some real actions in into life and then and uh, and then and when we meet again then I'm looking to see how that's worked for you and were they the right actions do we need to rethink a different approach Uh, and and so CBT helps gives you a framework Mm. I also work with um, I use clinical hypnosis as as one of my my key uh, techniques because that actually works really deep into the subconscious and again helps to anchor you and helps to to, to allow you to change your behavior and overcome fears based around certain words and images that really work for you. So you see some accelerated um, improvements in a very short space of time. I read in a book the other week, one of these self-help books, that if you tell yourself over and over again, I can, but change that with I will or I am, mm. that has a tremendous effect on your ability to... It's that, it must be that reprogramming. Telling yourself that you're doing it rather than you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's, it's telling yourself, it's having that positive dialogue with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's telling the monkey to get off your back and it's actually giving yourself a break. Those key words are so, so important. And alongside that, if you do some visualization work as well. So if you imagine yourself being the person that you really want to be, if you connect with that picture that you've got in your mind, you know, what are the colors that you're seeing with that picture? What are the sounds that you're hearing? What are the emotions that are connecting with you when you visualize yourself as the way you want to be? And if you hold on to that and you give yourself some positive affirmations around that picture as well, such as, 
you're looking hot tonight, honey, or whatever <laughs> it is, yes. you know, that, that really anchors that. And you do that for at least five to 10 minutes a day, you, then you are more likely to associate with that image. And that really does help change the way you see yourself and just to, to break. You have to think about breaking the cycle of that negative dialogue that it, you it's, have. It's so true that it's beyond truthful because I've done that for years and years and years. My One of my best friends, Marisa, always goes, you manifest things because you visualise it. I was just about and to ask about manifestation. Yeah, that's something else it, that's big at the moment, isn't well, it? You know? For, me, for mm. me personally, I even going back to um, having an idea of something. So let's just say, uh, ooh, gosh, I don't know. Going back back in my career, there were things that I I knew I wanted, and I would visualise it as you're saying, and I would imagine what those people around me would react as when I got the job and I'd imagine what it felt like and I'd, ima- I'd imagine things so powerfully that I think this is just off my own head I think subconsciously then you make decisions to get that girl it's kind of almost by accident but you've programmed it so much that if somebody came to you and said well actually can you do this this weekend in the back of your mind, you already know you can't because you've already programmed yourself that you're going to be over there somewhere. Mm. And it's a weird one, but... Mm. It's incredibly powerful, It is Natalie. powerful when incredibly you visualise things, yeah. I think. Yeah. I did read about somebody being able to manifest a car parking space in Tesco's. <laughs> and I did think, what an absolute That's a bit much. That'd be That's a bit much, CKS, yes. Please, you know. Something else, though. What, what is your stance on medication so like giving out medication for mental health issues oh that's a really controversial question I know. i'm sorry <laughs> i just you know because obviously there's it, lots of people get get given medication and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all but just from your point of view mm. as a as a specialist then what how do you view it okay i i don't actually have a particular opinion on it i i must admit to you because in the right circumstances for people who are really really um you know in in a really bad way the medication can actually help to kick start um a, a way forward but you shouldn't just medicate just on its own medication alongside talking therapies is the most effective way but you know that you need to come off that medication very, very, very quickly. It's there just to kickstart, but it's not there as a crutch because talking therapies is a way of self-empowerment. Otherwise, it's the medication that's giving you the strength. Um, and, and actually, you're not necessarily moving forward at all because that's why people kind of... I. I when I suffered, I suffered really badly with postnatal depression when I had my first child. And I had a, um, I, the doctors were trying to give me, um, uh, you know, some some um, antidepressants. And I really was fearful of it. I was fearful because at the time, people were always talking about the addictive properties of it. Um, and, and actually, medication does get a bad rap. But if it's given in isolation, and you don't get the other support mechanisms, that's when medication can actually become it is, but it is given in isolation a lot of the time. That is a problem, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. You know, it from is. a, yeah. somebody with personal experience. Mm. You know, I get my, I'm on antidepressants and they just get dished out to me. You know, I mean, I have to actually go in and have an asthma test every single year. I am told you must have an asthma test before you can get a new inhaler. Mm. But yet they will happily dish me out That's 50 what milligrams I mean. of sertraline every single day yeah. without even asking yeah. any questions. And it's not, it's not good, is yeah. it really? No, no, it isn't. And, and I will always advocate that if you're going to take uh, 
medication. It has to be in conjunction with someone else, with with, with uh, some talking therapies, but it should only be short, sharp treatment. It should never be long term. And unfortunately, it does seem to be the way we're going a little bit. I find it so um, worrying that, mm. yeah. Um, oh, gosh, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> oh, just scrape the surface, so, so, like, yeah, we've really got to round things up, which is just such a shame because we all know there's so much more to cover on this area. So, um, yeah, you'll definitely have to come back for another episode, I think, 110%. Oh, just, yeah, name the day. Oh, here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jeevan. I mean, you've been absolutely brilliant and it's been really interesting and hopefully very helpful as well for a lot of people um, we hope you guys listening in or watching have enjoyed spending time with us today and if you are feeling down or anxious please know that you're not alone we've got a number of contacts for professionals and organisations at our website that you can contact if you want to speak to somebody we also have Jeevan's practice details on there too if you'd like to speak more with her and get some advice don't forget you can visit all of our content at the website www.thecapsule.co.uk and you can subscribe to all of our podcasts channels and leave your rates and reviews as always we love hearing from you also we are now counting down the weeks until our very first fashion and body event in leeds on february the 8th i'll be joined by anna and a whole host of other names for a night of shopping styling and thought-provoking conversations tickets are currently on sale at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk forward slash events so please book if you'd like to come along as we would love to see you there we'll be back next week with another special guest for more the capsule in conversation we really hope you all manage to have a great week and so it's goodbye from anna goodbye goodbye from Lindsay. goodbye goodbye from jeevan goodbye and goodbye from me <laughs>